what is your purpose, and why are you here? Some things I believe that we need to contemplate ourselves so that, that we don't waste time and waste moments because we'll never regain them back. We try to relive uh, our past mistakes and go back and fix things that was wrong. But I truly believe that God doesn't want us to live in yesterday, but he wants us to live in today and a future and a hope of tomorrow. The Thrill of Hope series taught us that God promises people of all generations that there is hope for a better day, that there is hope for a future, that there is a hope for your future. Today I want us to look at some very specific things, but the main point of the mission of this message today is for us to receive some passion. I want Bethesda Church to be a church that is full of passion and of desire and of a longing for God to do great things in our city. I pray that we as a church this next and upcoming year of 2016, that we will receive a passion from God that will go far beyond and reach farther than we've ever reached before, that we will see greater things than we've ever seen before. I pray for healings, for uh, all sorts of miracles and things that God desires for our city. I pray that he would give us favor amongst our community and amongst the leaders in our community, that Bethesda Church can go out and do more than we've ever done before. How many believes there's a greater day ahead? There is a day ahead, but it takes passion to do that, and it takes a passionate people, not people that's apathetic and just wants to sit back and say, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing so that we can just maintain the status quo. I'm sick of the status quo. How about you? I want passion to drive from within my heart that will cause me to move forward in a way, in a, in a manner that God would if he were here with us and dealing with Bethesda. I pray that God would use us and use us all. I can tell you right now that I can drum up passion within myself. I can drive myself and I can pray and seek God and read his word and try to get passion within my own bones. But it don't take but one phone call to drag me down. Have you ever received that one phone call that you didn't want to get? That one message on Facebook that you didn't want to get? I'm praying today that God would let us see that it takes all of us to drive this church to the passion that God desires for it. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, you need some passion. I don't think anybody got it. I want you to tell your neighbor, you need some passion, Pete. Get some passion, man. Build it up. Passion. Yeah, there we go. Ernie's getting it. You need some passion. What is passion? Passion is this. It's a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement for something or about doing something. Passion is that it's a strong feeling. It's not just a, a casual feeling or just something that you just kind of like a gentle nudge, but it's a, a passionate, it's a strong feeling. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a strong feeling. You need a strong feeling. It needs to be something that drives you, 
that forces you, that propels you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. I'm praying today as we talk about passion that something stirs within the hearts of the believers of Bethesda that we will go out and we will be urged with a strong feeling that God is about to do something in our city, that God is about to do something in our church, that God is about to do something through us and not to us. Passion will propel you to your purpose. If you're taking notes, please write that down. Passion will propel you to your purpose. We all need purpose. The second part of passion in the Webster's Dictionary, it says that, part B says, it is a strong feeling. Look at your neighbor and say it's a strong feeling. One, one that it put in parentheses, such as anger. <laughs> Anybody ever had a strong feeling of anger? <laughs> Anybody ever got mad in this place? I, I want you to look, just smile at your neighbor and say, I've never been mad. <laughs> I've never been mad. Not at all. Never. It's a, that emotion can't overtake me. I can't get mad. I'm Pastor Ben. I can't be mad. Uh, I, I think... If we're all truthful with each other, we'd look at each other and say, I've been mad a lot. <laughs> That's what emotion is. It's a, a strong feeling, that one of anger. And how many has ever acted in a way when you was mad that you regretted later? Come on, somebody. Has anybody ever acted some way in anger that you regretted later? Life isn't about looking back and thinking on the things we regret that we did, but it's looking back and looking back and seeing that there were things that we didn't do that we should have done. And I don't want you living a life full of regrets, and I don't believe God wants you to live a life full of regrets. Because if you look at those regrets, you think about things that you did. But I want you to begin to think about the things you have not yet done, the things left undone in your life. And I can think back in my own life, back into grade school days, and, and uh, specifically thinking, uh, does anybody remember art class? We had a thing in grade school called art class, and we, we had to draw. Has anybody ever had to draw? I, I can barely draw a stick man. I mean, literally, I'm, I, can, I can sketch one out and get it looking like halfway you can tell it's a person. Uh, there the day we were setting uh, up the some people from Kentucky Heights Church. We went to their house and um, sat there, and our little girl she was she got out a pencil and paper, or no, we done it on the pizza box, didn't we? We we bought pizza and took over to their house, and we had this pizza box, and it was just pure white to the top of the pizza box. And I started drawing little things, and I draw the church, and oh, the church, the church. She said, she was just tickled to death that we had the church on there. So then she drawed a little. It like, looked like a blob. She's four years old, though, or three or four, somewhere thereabouts. So I don't, some, you know, little. Then she drew this thing, and she said, "This is me." I was like, "Yeah, that's nice." Then she commits to drawing the rest of the people. It looked like more blobs. The rest of her family shows what she thinks of them, right? So I started drawing, and I tried to be as neat as I could. And then she said, looked up at me, "Draw SpongeBob." I'm like. I'm not an artist, <laughs> but I did my best, and I drawed a SpongeBob, and it halfway looked like him because he was square and had little holes, you know, looked like a sponge, and 
he had the eyeballs and the nose and the and the tie and the and the pants and all that and and I, I pretty well done pretty well on SpongeBob, but the farther I went along, the more things she wanted drawn, it was getting worse by the minute. <laughs> I mean, it was cars and trucks and everything and and but she could tell what they was. So I was I was on a four year old level. Can you you know what I'm talking about? That's that's I'm. 40 years old, but I'm on a four-year-old level of, of art. She could depict what I was trying to draw. She could figure it out. But I remember in grade school and, and being in these art classes and just absolutely had no ability to draw whatsoever. I mean, just absolute minimum. And I, I would try to draw, and, and there's always the kid in the class that is real artsy. Did you have somebody, I want somebody just pop in your mind right now, a real artsy person. And, you know, um, I heard Mitch Toe uh, say one time that whenever he was a little little boy, the first day he went to school, he told his teacher, Hi, I'm Mitch Toe, and I'm here to learn how to draw. <laughs> That's what he told his teacher. He wanted to draw. That was his passion in life, and he, he was his dad showed him how to draw when he was a little bitty boy. Now he's went on throughout life, and he's got an art gallery. He actually sold it just now, and he's, he's uh, figuring out that, that art is to be used in a way that represents the kingdom of God. He's pastoring a mega church in Lexington right now, and he come from Lewis County up Slate Hollow. Tell me that passion won't take you somewhere. Tell me that passion won't cause you to move forward and do things because it's a desire in your heart. And usually, I believe the way God designs us is that he designs us with a passion that will align with our purpose and our ability. We all don't have to be the same. Amen? We all don't have to be the same. I'm glad I'm not like you. And I'm glad you're not like me. Because we need to be different. The world needs some Mitch Toes leading the church. The world needs some Pastor Ben's in Lewis County leading the church. The world needs some T.D. Jakes down in, in uh, uh, Texas leading the church. The world needs some Chris Hodges down in Alabama that will preach the gospel. We need all the individuals that God places with the talents that they have, the abilities that they have in the place that they're needed. That passion needs to be there to, to fulfill the purpose that God has placed on those individuals. But I also believe that every individual God brings into a church has purpose, has a reason, and has abilities that they need to use for the church. Going into 2016, I'm uh, so grateful that our children's pastor, uh, we've talked many times about it throughout the past several months, and Sister Amy is going to be leading the children's ministry strictly here at uh, Vanceburg campus. And she's going to lead the children every week on a weekly basis here at Vanceburg. But then the other volunteers that she is, uh, usually delegates out, that sometimes they'll teach here, sometimes they'll teach at Kentucky Heights, one of the campuses, they're going to all go to Kentucky Heights and teach there. But I believe there's, there's something happening that God is going to solidify something in our children's ministry. How many want some solid kids? Some Bible-based kids. Some kids that knows the word of God and can apply it to their life. I want some kids in our church that will go home and tell mom and daddy when they're not acting right. Nobody said amen. <laughs> I want our children's church department to be teaching kids to know what's right and to know what's wrong so that they can even go home and say, Mommy, Tara, you're not acting right. 
Though Emily's going to be getting on you sometime soon. But that's going to be okay. Because we need to grow from those that don't have a filter. Some people got that. We need to grow from people that don't have a filter. And you know kids don't have a filter? You people with kids know this. They don't have a filter. They will say anything. I love going to people's houses and eating with you guys and stuff, and your kids come in and say the thing that you didn't want them to say. I love it because your eyes, if you could only see your facial expressions when your kids say things to your pastor that you're like, no, don't say that. You know why? Because they don't have a filter. Passion drives them. And I, I, I want us to use for a text today a scripture uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 18. It's a scripture I want us to read. Matthew chapter 18. I love this text because Jesus is speaking and he tells a little story. This is New Living. I don't want this. You got it on the screen? Uh, New King James probably. Something like that. Matthew chapter 18. New King James, you there? Okay. 1 through 11. You're good. Let's stand as we read. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one of these little, one little child like this in my name receives me. But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus said it's better to have that than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lamed or maimed rather than having two hands or feet, to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels will always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for passion that you've given us, for desires in our hearts. God, we know that you are a God that loves us, just as we sang that song a little bit ago. God, I pray today that this upcoming, upcoming year of 2016, God, that you will go beyond the borders that we normally place around ourselves. And God, that you will cause us to have passion, that, that strong feeling that we will move forward in greater uh, areas than we've ever went before. And God, as a church as a whole, 
I pray that you would just take us beyond the walls of our building. And, Lord, that you would take us into our community. And, God, you would give us influence. And, Lord, that you would give us favor. Lord, that we could speak into the community. Lord, that we could speak into the hurts. Lord, that we could do greater things. God, I pray that you would give us influence with the leaders of the community. God, that they would know that Bethesda cares, that we're not just a church that shows up on 9-11, but we're a church that's there all year long. God, I thank you for what you're about to do in this place today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody say, Amen. You can be seated. I love this story in Matthew chapter 18 that Jesus is speaking to his disciples because his disciples are selfish. And I believe in all the areas that I've studied humanity and studied the way that uh, human nature operates and works that one of our greatest obstacles as humans to overcome is selfishness. You see, I'm trying to stir your passion by making you mad. <laughs> if you want some passion, get mad, I guess, is what the, word, uh, the dictionary said. So I'm trying to stir some passion in you and, and cause you to get mad because when you get mad, your emotions are going to take over. But I want to have that ability to turn your emotions where that you will not be mad at me for saying that thing, but you'll be mad at yourself for understanding Pastor Ben is right. I believe as a church sometimes that we as a church are selfish. But I believe that Christ wants us to live a selfless life. A life given to the cause. A God life given to the passion that we will move forward with our abilities. So today as I look at that scripture and think about that Jesus is talking to his disciples, the ones that he loves, the ones that he's chosen, the ones he's called out and says walk with me for three years. Jesus is really getting in their life, and, and he's been with them for a long time at this point, and he looks at them and he says, bring these little kids to me. And I believe as a church that a church that loves kids is a church that loves God. I've been in churches that says, you know, kids, well, they're the church of tomorrow. How many's ever heard that? They're the church of tomorrow. How about letting them be the church of today? <laughs> Jesus said, until we act like them, we won't even be able to enter heaven. So he constantly gives us kids so that we can learn from those kids how to act. You ever learned anything from your children? Have you ever learned anything from your grandchildren? I believe you should. Because they can be mad one minute and hugging the next. They could be saying, mine, 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 probably like what she would say if you tried to take her toy right now. But the next minute she'd look at you and give you a big hug. Kids know how to forgive. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to forgive. If you want to act like a kid got to forgive we're all childish in our ways right so as we're looking at this and thinking about this Jesus talked to his disciples and he's telling them hey you guys are a little bit older I know and I've been talking to you for three years now but you don't get what I'm talking about kind of like I feel right now I've been here five years telling you some things that I feel like some of you just don't get 
I think there's some things I've said as pastor over and over and over again. I'm like, why don't they get it, God? And he's like, they didn't get it from me. Why are they going to get it from you? Jesus taught these disciples. He lived with them. He, he, he broke bread with them. He, he dealt with them on a daily basis. He's seen their faults. He's seen their failures. But he went beyond that. And if Jesus was teaching them, talking to them, he would usually have to give them a picture so they could see it. What about your passion? Is it on purpose? And I believe Jesus was trying to show them that their passions were misdirected. That their aim in life was misdirected. How many feels like you've been misdirected? How many feels like you're on a path, you're thinking, why am I going this way? This isn't the direction I want to go. We all feel that way. And I'm telling you, it's because our selfish nature is causes us to go down paths we shouldn't go. It causes our feet to trod where they shouldn't trod. It causes our mind to drift off in areas that it shouldn't drift. It causes our focus to change because we get off course. I believe this passion that we have today is a passion that should be on purpose, that God wants us to live a life with in intentionality where that we will go beyond and think the way he thinks. And as I look at this, this text, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to get them to think right, really, is the problem. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't think right. I've been around you long enough. I know you. You don't think right, Earl Brown. Look at him back here. He's laughing at himself. Maybe he'll get some passion. Maybe Earl will have passion. You know what? You know what? One thing I know about Earl, he's got some passion. One, logging equipment. Am I right, Amy Brown? Earl loves logging. He's been logging since he was 14 years old. He quit middle school to go logging. That'd take some passion, wouldn't it? He's like, I'm tired of school. I'm going to go logging. That's passion. It causes you to act in a way that, that most other people don't act. That's what passion does. And now, even when we go to his house, he will be on a, a site called the Eastern Loggers. Yeah, Leslie knows it because he's got her addicted now. She ain't even a logger. But you go over, and he looks at logging equipment all day long. I mean, it's all the time. You go out to eat with him sometimes. He'll be over on his phone, and if you turn around, it'll be logging equipment. It's like, is a, doter, a dozer really that pretty? You know, does everybody want an extra skitter sitting in your yard? I, I don't know. It's a, that's, but it's his passion. He loves it. I love seeing people with passion that is their talent. I remember when they first came to church, we done the big launch day back in uh, 2013, uh, the April. They come to the Easter egg hunt the day before. Amy brought the kids, came to the Easter egg hunt. The next day they show up, that next morning, for the launch Sunday for Bethesda, the new Bethesda that's going to reach a community. And they show up, and they come in, and we had, how many kids was there? No, 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 the Sunday morning. It's 19, I think. So we was in this same building, and we had one room. And we had 19 kids. Let me tell you something. When you're used to having one kid, maybe two, and then 19 shows up, that clogs up the system. <laughs> It'll do more than clog the commodes. It'll clog people's minds. And those 19 little kids was in that back room back here. It's the nursery. 
And Amy and Earl came that morning, and, and they brought their kids, and their kids was back in that room, and it was their first experience of church in the way that Bethesda is a church. And I saw something in them, and I was like, you know, we can probably reach that. So the next week, we started deciding as a church board, we started looking, what are we going to do? There's 19 kids, we got one room. Something's got to give, right? Something's got to change. So we went out and bought the clubhouse, the building over there. It costs like $5,400. And then we spent, I don't know, a couple thousand on fixing the inside of it and insulating it and running electricity to it and spent all this money because why? We was investing in kids. That's why that building's sitting over there. And I loved it the other day that there's an elderly lady from our community. I talked with her the other day, and she said, what's that little building outside for? What do you do with that? And I said, it's our clubhouse. It's, our, it's where the kids go. And they love it. They love the clubhouse. And as I began to talk about that, it renewed a passion in me. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're Bethesda. Because whenever there's something going on and growth begins to happen, we're not afraid to buy another building. We're not afraid to go farther and do something. And some people looked around, and I remember when I told Pastor Joe and Pastor Stan that day, they said, what is wrong with you? Our district leaders. You're buying a building, you put it outside? I'm like, yeah, we're in Lewis County. People, they're used to living outside. <laughs> they thought we was in Louisville or something. They thought you ought to have a big fancy look. We got a clubhouse. But I loved it because whenever the first time the Mangans come, our missionaries, when the Mangans come, they come and their kids went out there and their kids like, yeah, we get to go to the clubhouse, yay. These are kids from Erlanger that's got a building. Their children's church is twice as big as this room. But they like the clubhouse. I want to be different, don't you? You know what, what's different about that building over there? It's called passion. It's a passion of a church that will say, I'll do things different than what anybody else will because God is driving me to do those things. And kids are worth it. And, but getting back to Earl and Amy, and I was like, what are we going to do with them? And, and I, I was out here, and whenever we got the clubhouse, and there used to be a tree standing right there. There was a tree right there where the clubhouse is. I was like, that's where I want the clubhouse to be, but there's a tree in the way. So wouldn't you know that God would send a guy that loves skitters and logs and a bulldozer a week or two before that I could get on the phone and say, hey, can you come by and cut down a tree for us? And I'll never forget him pulling up that road and getting a chainsaw out of the back of his truck, Pete, and cutting that tree, and I had, a, I had a come along, I had all this other stuff, and I was worried about the tree falling the wrong way, and he was looking at me like, what are you doing, idiot? You're, you're a plumber or something, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he let me do it because he was being nice, wasn't he? <laughs> I know he did. So I had my chain fall and come along on there, and I was tightening it up because I wanted to pull the tree one way, and the girl said, like, okay. He cut the tree and it fell there anyway. And he cut it up in little big pieces. And it was like watching. It was just graceful. Have you ever tried to use a chainsaw? How many's ever tried to use a chainsaw? A couple? I don't feel very graceful when I'm using a chainsaw. 
I feel like I'm in a war, really. It feels like a battle. It feels like there's something going on that I, I'm not in charge. That I feel like the chainsaw's in charge. Anybody's ever used one, that's the way you feel. And Leslie, a while back, wanting to buy a Gravely, I was like, you don't need a Gravely. I'm telling you, I've used a Gravely before, and they whoop you. They'll, they'll whoop anybody. But Earl laid into that tree, and he cut that he cut those uh, that firewood up, and it just it looked like grace was happening. But it's just like God to send you a logger when you're getting ready to cut a tree. And what I'm talking about today is Jesus wants us to know that he has called us for this point, for this season in our life, to fulfill a purpose that he has for us right now. God don't do accidents. Sometimes I look around and I say, God, why do you send so-and-so into our church? It's because he's got a purpose for us. We don't have to understand it. We just got to live with it. And there may be people come that you don't like. That's the best place to meet is in church with somebody you don't like. Anybody ever had that to happen? You go to church, and you're like, oh, yeah, finally, I get to go to church. Then in walks so-and-so, and you're like, oh, man, I'm not at church. That's the wrong passion. But as I think about this, Jesus talked to his disciples. He, he called them into the ministry because he knew there was things needed to happen in Israel and as a nation. And as he spoke to them very uh, bluntly here in this case, he told them, it'd be better for you to have a millstone. And they all knew what a millstone was. It was something that weighed probably a couple thousand pounds. That he said, it'd be better to have one of them tied around your neck and you throw it in the ocean than to mess with one of these kids. Look at neighbor and say, God must care about kids. He must. If he'd say it'd be better for you to tie a 2,000 pound necklace on and go for a swim. <laughs> so as this is happening, and Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's like, yeah, this is, you got to treat these kids right. you got to learn how to do this. And then he goes on and tells them, you know, the, the other parts of the story about, uh, you know, if your eye calls you sin, pluck it out. Or if your hand calls you sin, cut it off. And he looks at your neighbor and says, you need to get some red or some stuff in your life. <laughs> I ain't telling you to go home and poke your eyeball out. I think he was being symbolic. <laughs> Hopefully he was, right? <laughs> but Jesus is telling these things, and then he goes on, the last verse says it best. Where that Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And I believe as a church, it's our purpose. It's God's plan for Bethesda to be a church that seeks and helps God to save those which are lost. We can't save anybody. He can. He's in the saving business. But he said, whom shall I send and who will go for me? We need to be like Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Then Isaiah went on to say, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't talk right. I don't walk right sometimes. But he said an angel come down and touched his lips and purified him. I believe the moment where our passion becomes where I want to get in line with what God wants in my life, that God will clean us up the way we've been trying to clean up ourselves. How many's ever failed at trying to clean yourself up? 
We all do. But if we'll get in line with God's passion and his plan for our life, he'll do the cleaning. We don't have to. He causes us to desire holy things and desire his word and desire his presence because he's holy. We will never be holy. He's the only one holy. He's the one that can make us holy. And Paul goes on in Romans to say, how shall they hear? How shall they hear? Every time I do number studies about our, our county and our, our culture that we're here in Lewis County as Bethesda, as a church, I look at numbers and, and sometimes I see those 10,000 and it's like we reach a few more hundred every year, but is that enough? Is it enough just to talk to an, another couple hundred this year? If there's 10,000 that don't go to church today, if there's 10,000 that won't show up to church on Christmas anymore, used to people would go to Christmas and Easter at least. Today they don't even do that. At least they got to hear the gospel a couple times a year. Now they're not hearing it at all. You know why? Because they're not coming to us. I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's our job to go to them. And Jesus is telling these disciples, look guys, you've got to become like children and you've got to be humble. You know why he was telling them this message? Because they were seeking. They said, Jesus, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to get to sit on your right hand and your left? What, what position do I have? It's not about position. It's about passion. The church is too much based on position when it ought to be about passion. About purpose. So as Jesus is telling them, don't worry about what your position is. Get your passion right and all things will work out the way they're supposed to. But I, what I love most about this story. You see, we all have stumbling blocks in our life. I guarantee you that every person in this room has stumbling blocks. There's something that you trip up on on a regular basis. And it makes you sick to your stomach every time you stumble again. I see everybody's head shaking yes because I know it's true. Stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks. You want me to tell you what will kill your passion? What will kill your purpose? A stump toe. Leslie kicks her toes all the time. Seems like every other day she comes in. Broke my little toe, I think. No, it's just black. It's not really broke. It's just black. She stumps her toe. Because she's too tight to turn on the light. Look at her laugh. It's one of her big stumbling blocks in life is trying to save on electric. She must took after Manus Collier. I don't know. Today I want to show you this, that Jesus wants to turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. I want you to listen to me. Jesus wants to turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. What was meant to hurt you, God can make it work for the good.
Romans 8.28. He causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. You see, those stumbling blocks that you kicked your toes against were not made for you to kick. They were made for you to step on. And the only way for you to quit kicking is for you to take a step. The same thing that used to break your toes is what you need to step on. It's the same thing that begins to hurt you in your life. What if you would step up on top of that thing and say, I'm tired of kicking you. Today I'm going to step over you. It's a decision. It's that simple that it's something we have to decide. Am I going to kick it or am I going to step on it? What are you going to do today? It's a decision moment for you. So in 2016, if you want some passion, quit kicking the, quit kicking the stones, start stepping on them. And I, I really believe this, that those stepping stones are there, that God placed them there so that you could step up on them and go to a higher height than you was yesterday, that you can go farther and closer to him than you've ever went before. So Jesus is telling his disciples, quit worrying about who's going to be on top of who. Quit kicking your toes. Take a step up. And the best way to step up is to step in humility. The best way to step up is quit beating on people littler than you. Are you listening to me? The people that are smaller than you, the people that you think are less than you, are not to be made to step on. They're made for you to get down and say, no, God, I want to learn from them. Because most of the people that's put down in our society, the hurting, the broken, I hear people talking about how that the useless people on welfare and the useless people that's taking advantage of the system and, and the useless people that's, that's doing this and doing that, but they don't understand that it might be a woman that has, that has come out of a broken relationship and she's been through 50 too many and she's been broke, busted, and disgusted. She's got two or three kids and she's trying to make ends meet and she can't feed her family. I thank God for food stamps. I thank God for welfare. I thank God that he's allowed me to have passion in my life and abilities that I can make good money so I can pay my taxes so they can have something. I don't believe God wants us stepping on people that's hurting. This is the opposite side of what the church normally preaches, but I'll preach the truth whether you like it or not because I'm passionate about I want to be like God. This very story in Matthew 18, Jesus says, Be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and go for a swim than to touch one of these little ones. The very next chapter, and it's very likely the very next day, Jesus goes into another community. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 19. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples scolded their parents for bothering him.
never going to get anywhere in life until you learn the lesson of today. <laughs> the disciples scolded their parents for bothering them. But Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on them and blessed them before he left. learned anything this year that you're going to use next year? <laughs> I think I'm sitting in a church with a bunch of people with misplaced priorities. And I believe the reason we keep kicking our toes because we're not taking the steps. I think every now and then that a, a fire will ignite. I believe that God through the Holy Spirit will witness to our hearts and reignite those desires that he once placed within us, those passions that we had, those dreams that we had for things before that we'd lost sight of. But I believe every time that we get that same little ignited fire, Ernie, and that little passion comes back, that the first time we take off walking, we think we're going to get there this time, we stub our toe again because we didn't take a step up. Look at your neighbor and say, step up. It's time to step up. Here's why I'm telling you you need to step up. It's this, that I believe that most people think there's an elevator to success. There is no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. That makes my mom real happy. Doesn't it, Garza? My mom don't like elevators. When Francis was in the hospital, mom walked four flights of steps, four level, four, fourth floor. I'd be like, I tell you what, I'm taking the elevator. I'll meet you at the door. <laughs> and she would walk up the steps, and I'd be standing there by the door because she's even afraid the door would get locked in the stairwell, which is illegal. They're not allowed to lock them. <laughs> Let's stand. I'm praying today for some steps to be taken. And the lessons we've learned in 2015, I believe we're just like those disciples that here had heard Jesus yesterday, had listened to him say that you'd be better off to be drowned than to hurt a little kid. And tomorrow, showed some families
saddest part is of all this story in Matthew chapter 19 is the reason they were scolding those families is because they were selfish. They wanted Jesus to themselves. Just like I've said throughout this whole message. They were scolding people for getting people, their kids close to Jesus because they wanted Jesus for themselves. And I believe the church culture that we're alive in today is a church culture that wants Jesus to themselves. And not worry about everybody else. Awaken some passion within us, God. God, I pray that desires would change in this place today. God, I pray that mindsets will change this very moment. God, I pray for the dreams, for the thoughts, for the ambitions that you've given people in this room, for, Lord, that you've talked to them over and over and over about, and they've seems like they failed continuously over and over and over. Every time you reignite the fire, God, it seems like that something comes in that stops them from their progress. God, I know that it's the enemy that causes them to fall. And God, I pray today that you would rebuke the enemy, that you would re rebuke the devourer for the sake of your kingdom. God, I pray that you would rebuke the devourer over Lewis County. Lord, the people here that's hurting. Lord, let us be the church that meets the needs of the people. Lord, that we wouldn't block anyone because of our selfishness. But Lord, we would invite each and every person that we come in contact with to not come in that we wouldn't invite them to come to church, Lord, but we would invite them to meet you. God, because you're the answer to their problems. Lord, the church is not the answer. You are the answer. Change our perspective, God. Change our desires. Change our passions, God, to be like you. God, help us to be like Jesus. And let us learn his lesson. And let us take a step up. In Jesus' name I pray.